Good evening again. It's good to be together again. Just uh, have a question. Uh, is there anything last night or the night before that stood out to you that, that uh, you'd just like to mention? Something that was shared, something that you have questions about? I had a couple questions earlier and I said I don't have the answers, probably not. So anything that stood out to you so far in the two sessions that we had? Mm-hmm. One of the things that I have found, uh, so somebody asked where I, where I got some of the sources, Alta was asking, and uh, she was trying to find what I was talking about in the Bible, and some of the stuff you don't find in the Bible. But one, one of the things I've discovered is that when you, when you study uh, from Jewish sources, they, they have a very interesting way of treating the text. Um, they extrapolate all kinds of things <laughs> from a story that, you know, I would just, I don't, I never think about. Um, and it gets really interesting sometimes when you read some of what the rabbis are saying. I, I, I would say I've done a huge amount of that, but, um, and then some of what I've, some of the sources that I've used are Christians who study this stuff a lot. So I listen to them and read them, and they bring out some interesting things. Some stuff's a little bit out there. It's kind of weird and kind of like almost heretical, probably. But uh, some of it is, it does really add some, some, I don't know, vivid color to the story. So uh, tonight we're going to start by going to John chapter 1. And we're going to do a little exercise here in John 1, verses 35 to 51. And I, what I'd like for us to do is <clears throat> spend some time, maybe with your neighbor, how about that? Let's talk about what we're finding. Um, and I want, I want you to look from verses 35 to the end of the chapter uh, for terms that describe Jesus, all right? There's a bunch of them here. So, but before we do that, maybe, let me ask you a question if you would want to describe Jesus, what, what for term would you use? Or if, what term would you use to describe Jesus? What is he? Friend? Redeemer? Master? If you would want to tell somebody who Jesus is, what would you, what would you say? Counselor, mm-hmm. Savior, good. All right, so there's a lot of different uh, terms. Um, so we want to spend a little time here in these verses, 35 to the end, looking at some of the terms that are used to, for Jesus here. So go ahead, spend one or two minutes looking at the text with somebody beside you. Um, maybe talk about what you're finding, uh, what you're noticing with the different, uh, the, the different titles there or the terms describing Jesus. Go ahead. There we go. So we've got Lamb of God. What was the other one? Rabbi. Rabbi. Master. Somebody mentioned that one. 
What else? Son of Joseph. Where did you find that one? 45. Philip. We have found him who was in the law of the prophets. Son of Joseph. I didn't even catch that one. Son of Joseph. What else? Messiah? What did we say Messiah means? Christ? Yeah, that's another term there. What'd you say? We have found him? <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, Jesus of Nazareth. Son of God. Son of man, King of Israel. Wow, there's a lot in there, isn't there? Any more that you see? Last night we talked about Messiah. What did we say in Messiah? What does that term mean? The anointed one. That's right. Mm -hmm. How do you spell anointed? It's a little scribbly there. And that's tied in with kingship, right? We talked about how that's tied in with kingship and priest-prophet anointing. And we tied it in with the story of, of uh, Jesus being anointed just before the triumphal entry. Good. A lot of different uh, titles here in this short passage. Now, I'm going to spend a little bit of time just talking about the term son of man. That is a fascinating uh, title. Now, why do you think Jesus, so people, right here in this, in this text, it happens. So Nathaniel in verse 49 says, answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God, thou art the king of Israel. That's interesting words that they're using. I mean, there's three right there in that. It's Rabbi, son of God, king of Israel. Um, and Jesus answered and said unto him, because I said unto thee, I saw the end of the fig tree, believest thou Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So they call him the Son of God, and he says, Son of Man. Why does Jesus use Son of Man? Like, wouldn't you think Son of God is more, like, I don't know, reflective of who, who Jesus was, or who he is? Okay, son of man. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's a thought. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the thoughts, I think, any other thoughts? Son of Joseph, son of God, son of man. Who is he? <laughs> So I want you to think a little bit about the context again of Jesus. And you have the Caesars and all of those powerful people. Um, and in that time, a Caesar was basically, or a king was basically considered a god. I mean, like they were, they were gods. They were, you know. Um, and so who was the son of the god? It was the king's son, right? And so to say son of God actually is, there's some competition there maybe. I mean, there's, there's other people out there with that title. 
The Son of Man is a very interesting one. And to, to really understand it, we need to go back to the book of Daniel. Um, and I want you to go there. This is so fascinating. Um, the book of Daniel, in chapter 7, we have the term Son of Man. Now, this, uh, there's, something, there's some background to this title and the book of Daniel that is really important. What language was Jesus speaking? What was the mother tongue of that area? Or what was the... Somebody know? Aramaic, Aramaic right? So Aramaic was like the Pennsylvania Dutch of the Amish. And then English was, or the Greek would have been more the trade language. So if you think of the Amish, they speak Pennsylvania Dutch in their houses. Some of them, they don't as much anymore. Um, we still do. And then, but then when you're doing business, you speak English, right? Well, in that, in that time, Aramaic would have been more of the, the common language. Greek would have been more of the, the, the business or the, what, what would you call it, trade language. And then Hebrew was more of the spiritual language or what, you know, the, the, the Jewish language. Um, so Jesus is speaking in Aramaic and he uses a term called, and like the, what he would have probably been saying in his language was bar and nasha. And I don't know exactly how you spell that, but something like en-nasha, something like that. Now, if he would have been speaking in um, Hebrew, it would have been more like ben Adam, or the son of Adam. He would have been the son of Adam. Greek would have had another, another term. But why, why is this significant? Uh, and that's where Daniel comes in. Now, the book of Daniel was written partially in, in Hebrew and partially in Aramaic. It's the only book in the Old Testament that has any Aramaic in it, in, in, in the Hebrew Bible. And so there's this interesting passage in the book of Daniel that was written in Aramaic when everything else was in Hebrew. And guess what it was? I already told you where it's at, right? It refers to the Son of Man, Bar and Nasha. Now let's read what it says about Bar and Nasha, the Son of Man. So it says in verse 13 of chapter 7, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like Bar and Nasha came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion. Look at what was given to this son of man, this Bar and Nasha. Look, look at this. There was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. What kind of person is this? This Bar and Nasha. He has an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Now, when Jesus said, Son of Man, it took him right back here. They knew what he was referring to. Uh, and I want to go, go to Mark chapter 14. There's an interesting interchange here uh, between Caiaphas the high priest, when they were when they had Jesus on trial in verse uh, 53, um, they had Jesus on trial and they were trying to find false witnesses. And, 
and, and so in 53, they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, and Peter followed him. We go on down. Um, they were trying to bring in false witnesses. One said, I will destroy this temple that is made with, with hands. Within three days, I will build another. And then the high priest stood up in the midst in verse 60 and asked Jesus, saying, Answers thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Now, um, this high priest knew what Jesus was referring to. And the, 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 the verses in Daniel were clearly understood by them to refer to the Messiah who was coming. And here, Jesus uh, puts himself right there in that space. I've wondered already, why did the high priest get so upset? I mean, we're son of man. We, we would think that's not such a, it's not as bad as saying son of God, right? But Jesus was, was really speaking to his audience. He was speaking their language and tying it in with some of their understanding. And it says, And the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witness? Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. So I just think it's interesting that when Jesus referred to himself, most times he referred to himself as son of man. I think there's 80 references. Uh, it's the second most uh, quoted phrase or whatever that Jesus used next to the kingdom of heaven. Um, son of man was, was mentioned 84 times. And oftentimes, like we see here, people would give him other names. But when he referred to himself, he referred to himself as son of man. All right, uh, so that's Son of Man, but I would actually like to focus more on another one tonight. That probably took a little too long. I would like to focus on uh, Rabbi. Uh, rabbi um, and Master are really kind of the same thing. Like in, uh, it, it meant, Rabbi basically meant Master. But in, I think in order, and what I'd like to do is look at the term Rabbi or Jesus as a Rabbi but then also tie that in with the Jewish um, interest in learning and study. And I told you earlier that when you read Jewish sources, they really do interesting things with the text. Well, the reason they do is they spend a lot of time studying the text. <laughs> it's a very important part of what they do. You know, we, we get up in the morning, we read the Bible and do a little bit, but uh, compared to the, the Jewish people, um, our, our study of the text is is uh, maybe child's play, I'm not sure. But uh, one of the things I, I wanted to ask here in the beginning was, if you would want to become more spiritual or come closer to God, um, what would be the first thing you would think you should improve on? What, Bible reading? Okay, you might, have, you might be on the right track. Okay. Mm -hmm. What is the ultimate form of worship? Okay, what is the ultimate way to worship? Prayer, okay. Mm -hmm. Praising God. Prayer, praising God. So in the Jewish 
in the Jewish experience, study is the ultimate when it comes to worship. Um, study of the text is, is really where you come closest to engaging with God. Uh, some writers say that the study of the Torah takes a similar role to that of prayer in the Christian faith. It is considered the highest form of worship. <clears throat> there is an interesting practice that happens some in rabbinic tradition. It informs us that when a, when a Jewish student, child, starts learning, they will write uh, some, of, some letters on a slate. Um, and this is probably back in the day. And they will also write some scripture on the slate with the chalk. And there's one other sentence they will put on. And that sentence is, the law will be my calling. Have you ever read like the Old Testament, even like the, the book of Psalms and how, I think it's Psalm 118, is it? Or some, the, the longest Psalm. David goes on and on and on and on talking about how he just delights in the law of the Lord. He just loves it. And I mean, he's talking about, he didn't have the New Testament. He's studying the law, the Old Testament stuff. Like he was just delighting in that. Well, um, here they would write on this slate, the law will be my calling. So the teacher would read those words back to the child, and the child would repeat them back. And then his slate was coated with honey, which the child was then uh, would, would, would lick off of the slate. And it was a reminder to the child, an early reminder, um, of Ezekiel who said, after eating the scroll, I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Um, I think that's kind of neat. <laughs> like... I don't know, giving that feeling that study is sweet, studying the, the text, studying the scripture is a sweet thing, it's a, an enjoyable thing. And then after this ceremony, the child was given sweet cakes to eat with Bible verses from the law written on them. Uh, what a great way to get your children to love to study the scripture. Why was study so important? Why was learning such a big part, and still is actually? When I lived in Jerusalem, uh, there was, there, there's people, there's groups of people in Jerusalem today that all they do is study. They study the Torah every day, all day. That is their job. And, and the government pays them for it. They, it. It's a function of society where they have people whose job it is to study all the time. And then there's this political fighting that goes on with, you know, who's going to give them the most money and for their studies, and so they'll vote for the candidates or the parties that are going to give them the most money for, for their studies. This is a function, an important function of society, is just simply studying the text day in and day out. That's what they do. But why? Why is study such a central part, an important part of their lives? Any thoughts? Why would, any guesses? Why would study be such an important feature of Jewish life? Okay. Mm -hmm. Think about all that the Jews have gone through over the years. The persecution, the being driven from here to there. I mean, if you've studied the Crusades, um, you, you, there's some horrible stories of how 
There's one situation where they were going out to try to conquer Istanbul, I think it was. And on the way, they came to a Christian community and they destroyed that and robbed that. And then they came to a Jewish community and they're like, all these guys killed Jesus, we might as well not wipe them out. You know, that, that kind of persecution. Uh, and, and, you know, this has gone on for a long time. And, and then we had the Jews being carried from Jerusalem to Babylon and Egypt here and there. Uh, and so, so as they got pushed from place to place, um, God would tell them, it's because you forgot me, right? It's because you forgot my laws. It's because you weren't doing what I commanded you to do. And so the Jewish people sort of decided that we're never going to let this happen again. <laughs> and we are going to be students of the text. And so they became ardent, or real strong students of the text. Um, one rabbinic statement says, if you have knowledge, you have everything. So persecution could take away many things. But one thing that persecution couldn't take from them was their knowledge. And so study became a very deep and central part, and still is, like I said, of their lives. Remember, remember, last night we talked about the Passover being a time to remember what had happened in the past. Um, it's hard to remember something if you haven't learned it. <laughs> and so I think that, that learning was, was a part of the process, and then they, it helped them remember um, the things that had happened in their past. They studied uh, from little up. Like I mentioned earlier how a child would have this slate and they would write some of the law and some words and then he would lick it off. They put the honey on and lick it off. And so this started at a very young age and by the time they were teenagers, they had largely memorized the text. And we're talking about the Torah, the first five books uh, primarily. So they had largely memorized the text they, they didn't just study the Torah, they also studied the Mishnah and the Talmud and other writings uh, uh, that, that sort of are commentaries, Jewish commentaries to the, 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 the Torah. Um, but by the time they were teenagers, they were pretty well learned in the scripture and they knew how to uh, engage with it very well. Jerome was a Greek scholar who translated the Old Testament from Hebrew to Latin in the fourth century. And he talks about, in that time, he actually went to Bethlehem so he could learn Hebrew better to translate the scripture. So before that, they were, they were working with the Septuagint, which had been a translation from, uh, so they, they, they would translate from the Septuagint into other languages. But he wanted to go back to the Hebrew to get the translation directly from there. And so he went to, Jeru he went to Jerusalem and, and lived in Bethlehem for a while where he did his translation work. And he said, when he lived in Bethlehem to do the translation work, he said, the scriptures were known, by, um, um, were known almost by heart by everyone. And he talks, he said, you can hardly find a boy in the street who didn't know the scriptures. There doesn't exist any Jewish child who doesn't know by heart the history from Adam to Zerubbabel. So does that, does that jog any memories of Jesus in your mind? Like... Um, you think Jesus did this? Do we have any indication that maybe he was fairly well learned by the time he was a teenager? He was answering all the questions in the temple. Yeah. He was, he was, what's it say there about what Jesus was doing? Yeah. He was sitting with the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. So he had a heart, he, he could already at 13 years old, and we think always oh, just because he was, he was God's son, right? And I think he had actually gone through this system where he was studying the text day in and day out from little up. 
And that's, that's why he could ask those kind of hard questions um, to, the, to the doctors there in the temple. <clears throat> so study is the highest form of worship. The next question is, where do they study? Where's the place of study? And so uh, the, the place that they often go to to study is called the Beit Midrash. It's basically the house of study, something like that. Um, and so I mentioned earlier that when the Jews were in exile, uh, that's when the, I think I mentioned this a little bit of this at least, that's when the synagogue system sort of sprung up. So before, if they're all together in Jerusalem, they have the temple, and that's the gathering place. When they go out to Babylon and all these other places and they get scattered, where do they gather, right? And so that's where the synagogue system sort of came to be where they started to meet in the synagogue. <clears throat> so we don't have a temple here close by, but there would be synagogues where Jews get together. Well, in the synagogues, <clears throat> there's a place of study. There's, that's part of the synagogue in, in Jesus' time was there, was there was a place where they would get together to study. So that was one, that was one uh, place they got together to study. <clears throat> um, Every Jewish meal is supposed to be a time for discussing the scriptures, but especially so on Shabbat. The rabbi said, when three eat at one table and bring up words of Torah, it is as if they ate from the table of God. Blessed be he. And then some, this one writer says, perhaps that is why Jesus was invited to dinner so often. He, he, he created interesting conversations around the text, and he got people thinking. Um, Another writer mentioned how that even at a Jewish wedding, they would slip away, uh, a group of them would slip away and study the Torah. Imagine going to a wedding and uh, getting away with a group of your friends and studying the Bible. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> I just can't imagine we would do that. But that is how important the study of the scripture was. So there's places to study, there's, the home is a place, but even at an event, they might get, get away and study the Torah. How come people say that he's unlearned? What do you say? How come people say that he's unlearned? How can this man say these words of being unlearned? Okay, uh-huh. Was that about Jesus? Because typically they, when Jesus, I mean, I, I know they said that about some of his disciples. Did they say that about Jesus? They may have. Yeah, I know that there's different times when Jesus spoke, they said, how does this man have such authority? He speaks with such, you know, authority. But there may have been times when, when he, uh, they also asked that question. That's a good question. I, I don't even know for sure. If you find that, let me know. <laughs> Go ahead. Hmm. And so we go back in the Bible times, and we got to remember they didn't have rules and all this kind of thing, and iPads and everything else to look things up. Mm -hmm. So study may have also been part of uh, how do you remember it, what did Dad say, yeah. how do you say this, and then they would bring it all together. And That's good. Mm -hmm. and, and, and transfer it mm -hmm. accurately to the next generation. Yeah. And another thing that's interesting in this era, uh, they, you know, to have an entire Bible or an entire Torah at a synagogue was very uncommon because they're just too expensive. I mean, you have to, it costs as much as a farm, probably. And so if you want to study Genesis, you might be at one synagogue or one Beit Midrash, but if you want to study the, another book, you might go to this one across town, and they have the other 
part of it, and then you, you know, all the synagogues might have a few of the scrolls that they can study. So uh, they, they, don't, they can't do it all in one place. Or more likely someone that actually do it well. Possibly, yeah. Or there could be people they study under, and I'll get to that yet, where they study under certain people who are more, more versed. Mm-hmm. John, did you find anything? All right. So <clears throat> places of study, how did they study? Uh, they studied with others. So they very seldom studied alone. Um, or I say seldom. Typically, they're studying with another person. They study with a Havarim. That's a male student. And Havaru too is a group. And so the study happens together. And it's a fascinating. Uh, even to this day, they do this. Uh, so when they're studying the text, you know, we, when we have discussions in Sunday school, we have these nice, kind discussions. But if you would go into one of the modern yeshivas in Jerusalem, um, you might find groups of students like they're yelling and raising their voices and, and arguing about what it means and going back and forth. And, and, uh, and that's their, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to, that's, they're trying to sharpen each other. They're trying to really get to the bottom of what is in this, in this text. And so it's a quite, a, it's an engaging experience. I, I use the word chutzpah. Um, have you ever heard of the word chutzpah? It's, it's like they, they study with just unched and give it all they've got. Um, so, it's what, so one of the writers here says, the traditional mode of Jewish study maintains an emphasis on dialogue and disagreement. That's different than us, isn't it? We always want to agree, but here they're trying to challenge each other. Jews often study in havritu in pairs with each member challenging and asking questions of the other. A person who walks into a traditional Beit Midrash is struck immediately by the noise level. Havritu read the text aloud and often argue at some volume, pushing one another to come to a better understanding of the text at hand. I think it'd be kind of fun if we could do more of that. <laughs> that we could, you know, sharpen each other more uh, as we study the text. Did you find something, John? Yeah, John 7. Uh, okay, okay. And the Jews marveled, saying, how knows this man letters, having never learned? That's an interesting one, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I think being son of man, he didn't have to learn. Okay. That could be. I, I would think he still had to, but I don't, I, I don't know for sure. Uh-huh. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, <clears throat> so think about this, this uh, method of learning, how they're arguing and whatever. And then I think about how Jesus interacted with the Pharisees. We think, oh, he's really hard on the Pharisees. But he was just doing what they did. That's what, that's what, that's how they engage. They argue and they, you know. Um, so the next thing uh, I want to talk about is how they study under a teacher. And that's where the term rabbi comes in. So students would often also study under a rabbi who was more knowledgeable and who could teach them more things. Um, some of the students would have worked probably in more a stationary, or some of the rabbis would have worked in more of a stationary setting. Others were more traveling rabbis. And, uh, and so they would travel from place to place, and people would support them. They would give them money or give them food or whatever they needed to live. So they lived off the good-heartedness of others within the Jewish community. These rabbis had a, a place of very high importance within the Jewish community due to the, the value that they placed on learning. <clears throat> and it's interesting that Jesus, uh, he actually, and I think this is another reason I would think that Jesus actually did some learning somewhere, 
uh, he engaged with some of the big ideas of the day. So there was two big schools of thought in the rabbinic community. One was the school of Khalil, and the other one was the school of Shammai. And so the Pharisees, when they came to Jesus one time, they said, uh, can we divorce someone for any reason? Okay, remember that story? And uh, what they were really asking, there's the, the, so in that time, uh, the school of Halil taught that a man can divorce his wife for indecency or for any matter. And the other school said that it can only be for a matter of indecency. So in, in the Halil school um, of thought, they could uh, basically, there was no fault divorce, they could divorce just if, she, if the wife didn't cook right, you know. Um, and so the Pharisees were asking him, which, which, which one of these are you, which side are you on? Are you on this side or this side? And Jesus kind of, you know, he's good at just giving them another, another path. Um, and so that was a debate that was going on in Jesus' time, and Jesus was actually engaging with the, the rabbinic topics of his day. Now, how did you become a student of a rabbi? So, so a rabbi also had students uh, that, would, that would follow him. Um, and I just want to bring this up here. Disciple. Do you, do you know what the word disciple means? What is a disciple? Okay. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. The word itself is actually pupil. So the disciples were really students. They were students of Jesus. And Jesus, he found these guys and he said, come, follow me. So... Jesus, when he called his disciples, he was just simply asking them, come be my students, come follow me. I'll be your rabbi, you be my students, I'll, t- I'll, I'll teach you. Um, I, th- I just think that's an interesting way of inviting people uh, to, to follow the way. But rabbis chose students to follow them. Students were usually chosen around 12 years of old after they'd been some of the, through some of the more rigorous early training. And... If they came out at the top of the class, they might be considered as a, for a student, as a student for a more popular rabbi. And every boy, that's what they wanted. They wanted to be a student of a popular rabbi. Um, but that was only one in a thousand or ten thousand that would actually get that opportunity. And so the rest, after they'd finished their more basic education, uh, they would go into a trade and start working they were passed over. They were not qualified, right? Um, now, where did Jesus find his disciples, his pupils? Working, right? They were working already. So that, I think that tells us that they were beyond the early study period. They didn't make the grade for following the popular rabbis. And Jesus goes and he finds them working. They're in their trade already. Um, they were apprentices were starting their work, uh, but they, they would usually marry around 18 years of old, uh, 18 years of age, and uh, it's probably unlikely that, it, it seems like the only one who was married of the disciples was Peter. And there's, and, and the reason we think that is because when Jesus, when it was time to pay the temple tax, um, it was required for any male over 20 years of age. So Jesus, we know, he was over 20 years of age. And Jesus said, go, go pay the tax for me and you, right? Something like that. But no, none of the others had to pay it. So that means they all had to be under 20 years of age. And if they were working 
Um, and they were still single, so they were probably under 18, 13 to 18 years old. Um, those, that, that was the age group of people, of students that Jesus called to follow him. Uh, I, should, I should probably quit, but there's a lot more I, could, I have to say here. Uh, I guess I'll have to finish it tomorrow night. I, I want to talk about the goal of the rabbi. What was their goal? What were they trying to do uh, as, they, as they called these students to follow them? Um, there's some very interesting things there as well. But I guess we'll cut it off there and continue tomorrow night. Let's just pray. Father, help us to be your students, to follow you every day, all of our lives. We bless you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.